Hey everyone, you're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM and I'm your host Joe Gonzalez. On today's episode we have three interviews. First we spoke with artists in residence here at the U of M School of Art, Erwin Hubner. We also spoke with the recently appointed Dean of the Days Hotels Faculty of Music, Edward Drakowski. And finally we spoke with Professor Emeritus and co-founder of the Black Hole Theatre Company, Chris Johnson. With that being said, let's get to it. University of Manitoba professor Erwin Hubner gave a lecture recently after writing a book, and he placed it alongside others in a quail's egg. Erwin Hubner is artist-in-residence at the U of M School of Art and is a recently retired biology professor. Hubner gave a talk on January 17th at the opening ceremony of his art exhibition, Outside the Boundaries, Exploring the Natural World Through Artist Books, which will be presented at the Archives and Special Collections area of the library until April 15th. Our news reporter, David Zarangi, spoke with Erwin to discuss how he got into this work aside from being a professor in biology and what he's hoping to accomplish as an artist-in-residence. So is this, um, is this something that you've always done? Um, for, always looking out to, yeah, I'm always to make looking, something, looking for inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, I paved my way through school uh, from grade six on to through university, working wow. for an engraver in Edmonton. So mm. I always was involved with uh, working with my hands. Mm. And I did always a lot of photography. My main medium was photography. Taken, I should have taken shares in Kodak. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, of course, I got into photomicrography, and that mm. opens another new genre. Mm. Uh, but I've always been interested in the paper arts and in art in general. Okay. Um, and, oh. Yeah, and of course, the microscope is used to collect data for research, mm. but when you look at things in the microscope, it also reveals structures of a world that have an interesting uh, array of colors and patterns and textures that in themselves are art. Yes. And so the images I take from my art side are not taken because they were part of a science project. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do lots of images for papers in science, but all those images that are along the wall there, those are all photomicrographs. And they're taken on the microscope, but not for the science, but for the art. Mm. It's to show people a world that they may not have thought about. Mm. I had a creative arts grant from the university when I became artist in residence. Mm. And I proposed to do, try some new innovative book structures. And one of them was the books made out of glass. Yes, those are in the back. And those are books that focus on the structure of the skin. And which, of course, I used to teach about in histology, and the giant book was um, the other, so I proposed those two that would be things that are what I tried to do as part of the proposal of that grant, Mm. and uh, I finished the glass books first, they were completed last year, Um, and the giant book, or the year, actually towards the end of the year before, but the giant book I just completed earlier this year, mm-hmm. or this past year. Yeah. And then the book on sturgeon, that's also a new book. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple of other new books, the ones on the monarch butterfly. Uh, and then there's a book that I did 
for the School of Art I've made 29 copies, okay. handmade, and they are being sold by the school to raise money to support students at the School of Art. Mm. That's the book you see on the table. It's called Intimate Encounters yes. with the Kingdom Plante. And of course, I was trained as a cell biologist, mostly working with animal cells. But I've also, in recent years, been doing a lot of things with plants. Mm. So that entire book, all the images in that book are of uh, plant material. Okay. And the, the line of text that runs along the bottom of the book is a reflection that human beings have been fascinated by plants over the millennia. Right. So it has the names of botanists from the Greek times up to modern times. So when you read the names down there, yeah. you find people like Linnaeus, Gregor Mendel, Charles Darwin, yeah. who all worked on plants. Mm. But it goes right back to the very first botanist in Greece. So I always research. When I decide to do a book, I think about the concept, <clears throat> sometimes make a model first. And then I do a lot of work. I guess it's part of my nerdish science background to get all the facts right. Mm. It's <clears throat> not in this show, but I did a book, uh, two books, two copies of a book on Dutch elm disease in Winnipeg. And I researched all the literature, but before I f uh, completed the book, I had my colleague, Dr. Tom Booth, who's a, a fungus person, go through the content to make sure it was scientifically accurate. <laughs> so that's where the science and the art come together, but the art is done for the art's sake, not because I see pretty things in science. Is it, is it, is it more challenging to work with one kind of medium, for example, plants versus animals? No, the medium isn't the challenge. The challenge is uh, <clears throat> to come up with an innovative structure. Mm. Like when I first thought about making the egg books, it took me quite a while to work out the techniques, how to cut them without breaking them and a half, and then they're very fragile. How do you make it? The cover of a book has to be handleable. Yes, that's the technical aspect. So I gave well. a talk to the, the, the two years ago to the first-year art students mm. in their Art Now class, and I took a little egg book to the lecture, and while I was talking, it slipped out of my hand and fell on the floor. Oh. And all the students went, ah, it didn't break, Okay. because I've made it in a way that it's structurally sound because it's reinforced on the inside with Japanese paper, which is extremely strong. It's the world's, some of the strongest paper in the Japanese world are paper. the Japanese papers. And it's very, very thin, so mm. it doesn't add weight. And, you know, the giant book, that was a real challenge, how to make a book that big. Mm. I tried different approaches, and uh, that's what I came up with. And then the book in the round are the same images that are in the big book, except you now go and sit inside the book and you can turn, turn and you're completely surrounded by the pages. Yes. That was a bit of an afterthought. And uh, of course I work with microscopes, so you mm -hmm. may have noticed one of the books is actually yes. a microscope cut in, in half. cut in half. So when it's closed, you see the microscope and you literally open okay. the microscope to reveal the microscopic Absolutely. world. That's, that was the concept. <laughs> that's genius. I mean. And the cover is plexiglass, so it, you know the microscope is the mm. focus. What did you use to cut the microscope? 
I use the small bandsaw that I have at home that has a diamond blade. Mm -hmm. And I took all the lenses and cut them as well with a diamond saw. I see. And so all the pieces were cut in half separately. So then I had to put it all back together. Back together. Wow. <laughs> How long did it take you? That to took me quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> How can people reach out to you if they wanted to um, get one of your artwork? They have to just email me. And okay. Then the book, of course, that I made for the school that is raising money for students, that can be purchased through Lisa Schroeder okay. at the School of Arts. The Days Hotel's Faculty of Music started the year on a high note by appointing a new dean. Edward Drakowski, whose position officially began on January 1st, is no stranger to Winnipeg's music scene. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, spoke with Ed to talk about his academic career thus far, what he hopes to bring to the faculty, and his general thoughts on the music and arts scene here in Winnipeg. I'm from Winnipeg, um, did my undergraduate degree at the Faculty of Music and went down to the States to do my graduate studies, Rochester, New York. The music program is called the Eastman School of Music. And so I was there from 89 to 96 and um, came back to Canada and have been living in Lethbridge, Alberta for the last 22 and a half years. Loved it a lot. But home is home. And when the opportunity came up, my wife and I thought, good opportunity to think about moving back, reconnecting with family, and receive the position. And excited to be here. I've been here now, I don't know, what, what's the 21 days. I've been on the job really? for 21 days, wow. yeah. So yeah. So far it's going great, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so coming back to Manitoba, um, right. did you know much about uh, the way the Faculty of Music was running here kind of before you came? Sure. Yeah. I followed, when I did my undergraduate degree, it was in that older building. It's now where Cadel is, a Center for Advancement of Teaching and Learning. Oh, okay. And I guess it's now been almost two years where it's now in its new home, so it's expanded significantly, and there's great excitement. But I have several faculty that I've maintained relationships with over the years having left. And so I followed the course of how the progress moved from that small building to its new home right now. So there's been a lot of excitement and energy uh, about its move to a new space. There's so many more possibilities with just being in a larger space where you could have room to breathe, but also the idea of it being connected so close with the visual art and the theater that's right there. The possibilities of interdisciplinary work, both within, with students particularly, just getting them energized and excited being together and just learning from each other, learning what their particular curriculum's about, what their experiences are as a student, as a music student, what that might mean for, the, for a visual arts student, what it might mean for a drama student what kinds of creative things could be put together. That's for the student, but I'm also very interested in what that might mean for faculty associations and what that might mean for the university and the Winnipeg community. I think really because the home is so new and people are just starting to, most of the boxes aren't finally unpacked. Right. So I think we finally have got this people are feeling comfortable in their space, I think that's the next step of what is possible and what, you know, why not or what if. It's a very exciting time in that sense, yeah. Yeah. 
Would you say it's an especially exciting time specifically for the Faculty of Music? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. What is your day-to-day like? For a student who may not know, yeah. <laughs> um, I serve as... I have two roles in a sense. I think any dean has two roles. They look inwards, so they champion the faculty. I'm constantly talking to people in the university, people in the community, about all the great things that go on in the faculty, what the students are doing, what the faculty are doing. Um, I support and provide leadership, I suppose you could say, in terms of academic affairs, in terms of just day-to-day operations within the faculty. Um, Any concerns that might come up or good news things that might come up, that all comes under my portfolio. But any dean also is a dean of a university, and so it's developing relationships with other deans and see what goes on, say, in the Faculty of Arts or the Faculty of Science, two faculties that you're connected with, (laughs) and what what um, activities are going in there, what kind of relationships might music be able to forge with, say, the School of Business or with the School of Art, those kinds of things as well. So developing a higher level series of relationships as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I know uh, you said this is kind of an exciting time for the Faculty of Music. Um, It could be argued that the last few years have been a also kind of unsteady time for the faculty of music um one could argue that the uh steve kirby case um was kind of a bit of a floodgates opening for the u of m not sure how familiar you are with it probably pretty familiar i know there were some situations where there was one person that returned their music degree or uh and whatnot and just you know speaking with a few faculty of music students i know it's kind of it has possibly affected music students and their faith say in in the faculty and i don't know have have you considered you know kind of like you know coming in and becoming the dean of the faculty of music both in an exciting time but also kind of in a in a shaky time i guess i could argue and and if you have is there anything that you feel like you could say about it now my experience so far in the 20 some odd days has been nothing but positive all the students that I speak with are just extremely thrilled to be doing what they're doing and the environment that's been provided by the faculty the supportive and nurturing environment and I find that amazing actually it's a great beehive of energy that exists I see nothing but support and optimism about moving forward they're in this new space and there's this new energy moving forward and i think that's amazing actually so um i see nothing but positive so um those were sort of my questions if uh because this is going to be published and this might be you know some students it's it's actually pretty rare for deans to agree to just talk to us so this might be some students like first you know personal quote-unquote interaction with it with a dean Mm -hmm. um is there anything that you'd like to say that you feel is important for the students to know 250 events concerts whether they're student recitals large ensembles um there's an incredible amount of activity that goes on in the faculty what i find particularly exciting about this faculty and what i think students should know is what um 
an incredibly vibrant artistic city Winnipeg is. There is not just in terms of music, you know, there are lots of classical music events, there are lots of jazz events going on, amazing folk and rock music that go on. And what I find really thrilling is that they all coexist together in a respectful way. <clears throat> Sorry. But there's also great theater, there's great dance, of course, there's an opera company. There are an amazing amount of cultural things, not just for music students, but for all students in the University of Manitoba to experience. And I would hope that they would take advantage of what culturally rich things Winnipeg has to offer. That is another thing that excites me about this position, is the opportunity of this faculty, which has an incredible amount of uh, number of relationships with professional groups within the city, just spreading that excitement further. You know, we had yesterday um, registered music teachers, a um, little event here yesterday, and so there were some middle school and high school kids performing. And the excitement and the thrill that they had about just performing, you know, whether it was cello or a voice student or piano student, it was so, so, um, the only word I can think of is exciting. It was just so wonderful to see the um, passion that they had towards just playing music. Now, whether they'll be professional musicians, maybe, maybe not. But the fact that they have that love and wanting to share that love, I think is so great, really. And so that's part of what I hope students, if they read the Manitoban, might um, pick up, is that love of that art form, come out to a concert or just talk to students or talk to people they want about what kinds of activities. They're not just going on at the University of Manitoba, but throughout the whole city. It's very inexpensive to live in Winnipeg compared with it. Vancouver or yeah. or Toronto, you know, you can at least, I know times are challenging, but, you know, the cost to a concert here is so minimal compared to where it is other places. Yeah. It's the, the opportunities are greater here, and I think they should take advantage of the good, yeah. There are lots of concerts. <laughs> I'm happy to send you a list of all the events that are going on so you could publicize them. Yeah. The Black Hole Theatre Company is kicking off 2019 with their season's second main stage production, bringing Henrik Ibsen's Pierre Gint to the John J. Conklin Theatre. Composed of five acts, the play takes the audience from the mountainside in eastern Norway to North Africa and the Sahara. Professor Emeritus and co-founder of the Black Hole Theatre, Chris Johnson, is the director of Pierre Gint. He led an 18-member cast of both students and alumni for the 19th Royal Manitoba Theatre Company's Master Playwright Festival. Our arts and culture reporter, Amin Montaziri, talked with Chris to talk about the work behind the production of the play, as well as the meaning involved with Pierre Gint. Hi, I'm uh, Chris Johnson. I'm Professor Emeritus of Theatre at the University of Manitoba and I directed the production of Pierre Gint for Ibsen Fest. And could you also tell us about your history with the Black Hole? Sure. Um, came here in 79, so I taught here for 35 years before I retired three years ago. Oh. Uh, 
I was the one who put together the black hole with Dennis Smith. Uh, I'd done a bunch of shows here, 36, I think. Somebody counted them for me. I lost track of myself. Um, and uh, I've been involved, in, and the black hole has been involved in uh, master playwright festivals from the beginning, which was 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, and uh, we dropped out for a little while because uh, they weren't doing playwrights that interested us very much. But hey, this year it's Ibsen, so right. we're back in again. But before asking about Peter Gint, I wanted to ask about why did MTC choose Henrik Ibsen as... Who knows? Uh, <laughs> the ways of God and the MTC are mysterious. Uh, I think they sort of try and line up a classical play. And it sort of depends on what actors are available, what directors are available. And then out of those decisions come the decision about who should be the master playwright. I'm surprised it wasn't Ibsen years ago. I mean, Ibsen is pretty well considered the, uh, the inventor of modern theater. So I'm surprised he wasn't one of the first ones mm -hmm. uh, that they did in the master playwrights. But better late than never, I guess. <laughs> Here we are. Right. And when they declared that, um, uh, I assume uh, that the doll's house was taken. So, Well, it, the doll's house I mean, wouldn't be a bad play for us. But it's not going to be a big cast. We're always interested in doing big cast plays mm -hmm. because we like to get a lot of students, uh, students involved. Right. Um, it's always been our job in the festival to do a really important play by the playwright that's being celebrated, but one that not many other theater companies in the city can do, and that usually because of a really big cast. Mm -hmm. And so this year, it was clearly our job to do Peer Gint. Right. Yeah. The Murat Sat was an example last year. Well, yeah, that wasn't a master playwright show, right. but, that, but it's an example of, of the kind of big cast show that we like to do because it provides so many opportunities for students to get on stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, could you tell me more about um, the process of choosing Peter Gint and how it has, how do you think the students are bringing out the characters involved in that play? Well, um, as I say, uh, Pierre Gint, if, if you're going to do Ibsen, Pierre Gint seemed like the right play for us to do. The other attractive uh, aspect of Pierre Gint is that uh, it's a comedy, and Ibsen did not write many comedies, so we, we like the idea of, of doing one of his few comedies, and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good play. Uh, got lots of good parts. Um, one of the attractions of the play is that... Uh, Everybody gets a speaking part. There's no spear holders. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a picaresque play, and he goes from adventure to adventure to adventure, that means that pretty well everybody gets to play a major part in at least <coughs> one scene, right? So right. Uh, you have uh, somebody playing a main part in one scene and, and a bit part in the next scene. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so it works out really well. It gives everybody uh, a good range, except for the, for the leads, who only play one character. Most of the people involved in the show play four or five different characters, uh -huh. and uh, Pierre Gint provides a real variety of roles, which is which is good for students. Mm -hmm. And how many students are casted for this show? There's 18 people in the show, uh, and 13 of them are students. Five of them are alumni. Mm -hmm. We like the idea of bringing back alumni to work with current students, because generally they're more experienced actors, and uh, the young students uh, 
learn a lot from working with uh, more experienced actors. It also gives us an advantage over universities who uh, do, do class shows in that uh, we don't have 18-year-olds pretending to be another 18-year-old's father. You know, the older characters are played by older people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it makes our productions richer than they otherwise would be. Right. Yeah. I know that Alistair is also uh, involved in the show. Yeah, he's yeah. a very recent graduate. Right. But, uh, yeah, well, uh, Alistair is a very skillful actor. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was, uh, I worked with him uh, on a French show this mm -hmm. summer and had a grand time. So it was a, I really jumped at the opportunity to work with Alistair again. You know. Right. He's got a nice bunch of roles. <laughs> he, he plays the devil. He's so good as the devil. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've pretty much seen him on stage almost in one main stage every year. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my next question is, um, who do you think this play and uh, this specific staging of it uh, appeals to most? Our biggest audience are students. And so I would say that we pitch most of our shows to, uh, to university students. Mm -hmm. uh, they're our main audience. I would say about 60%, 60 to 70% are, are undergraduate students from the university. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this time around, because we're in the Master Playwrights Festival, I'm very aware of a small but demanding audience who buy um, festival passes right, and see everything. Right? There's, there's a, sort of a little coterie of really dedicated theater goers uh, who see everything in the Master Playwrights Festival. Right. So, um, so when I was directing, I was very aware that, that in addition to uh, the student audience, and for, for whom I'm telling all these jokes and, uh, and trying to keep things lively, uh, there is uh, another group that is going to be really mad at me if I don't do Ibsen well. <laughs> so I, I definitely had them in mind as well. Because, you know, um, we'd like those people to come back. Uh, we, you know, we like the idea of, of having um, a component of the audience that that uh, is is uh, is quite knowledgeable, right? Because they keep us on our toes, they, right. as they say. You know, they they demand that we do Ibsen <laughs> well, so uh, so we'd like those people to keep coming back. Right. Yeah. And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays, brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Once again, the interviews you heard today were provided by David Zarangi, Malak Abbas, and Amin Montaziri. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram, and the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all interviews you heard today can be read about in the stories available in the upcoming issue of the Manitoban this week. Tobin Tuesdays is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to check us out to find our old episodes, as well as subscribe so you don't miss a future one. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening, and we'll hope you'll tune in next week. Peace.